This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. I drink it up. First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. My safe word is keep going. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Positivity, Wolfie T. I can't talk too long. I gotta poo. What's up? Not much. How are you doing, sir? Been working too hard. Yeah? Wasn't yeah, it about that time of hard. year where you take a week off of work? Uh, it's still like three or four weeks away but it can't come soon enough yeah. you're roped into a bunch of projects and everybody's want wants to meet like three times a week on their project so they can get it done before everybody goes on their time off for december so it's just like getting uh bombarded with this shit not for me i haven't been sending any project ideas I can't. <laughs> everybody that's uh lower on the totem pole than me has <laughs> nothing to do yeah. with <laughs> but I'm like, i wish i could give this to the rest of you <laughs> but uh yeah so that's fun oh should i tell my story about how the, the movie the, the amc over here brand a movie just for me sure you were beating the drum for cat williams right for like a month <laughs> all the way <laughs> all the movies come out on Tuesday or Wednesday, and a movie popped up on the schedule for Tuesday called For the Love of Money, which I had seen zero advertising for. I'd never heard about any anything to do with this movie whatsoever. So I bought a ticket to it. Or I used my A-list <laughs> to book a ticket to it, <laughs> to the one screening on Tuesday night, which was the like the preview before it officially opened on Wednesday and like the day of, like maybe like two hours, like an hour or two before the, the movie, I look to see like what screen it's on because it helps me know where to park, you know, because they're the split or whatever. Anyways, my ticket, it's still there under my upcoming events, but when you look at the actual ticket, it doesn't have an auditorium number and it doesn't have a date and time on it. And I'm like, well, that's not good. <laughs> so... So I look at the, the showtime listings and it's not there. They took it off the schedule. And uh, I've had that happen before, but it's usually like several days beforehand. They'll take it off the schedule and then they'll issue an automatic refund and they'll, they'll cancel your reservation. Well, they never cancel my reservation. So I call them up and I'm like, hey, what's up? I got a ticket for this movie tonight. Looks like uh, it's not on the schedule. What's going on? I still got a ticket for it. The guy goes, oh, let's see. It's uh, says it sold out or canceled. Like, well, it's not sold out because I was literally the only one who had a ticket to it when I looked yesterday. And uh, he says, let me uh, hold on. And he goes and talks to somebody. And he comes back and he's uh, like, yeah, why don't you just come in? Like, <laughs> So, so you're going to play? Yeah, come in. <laughs> so I go in and uh, I, 
I get scanned by a guy at the counter and he like gets on, he's like, hold on. And he gets on the radio and I can't hear what he's saying, but, uh, then he comes back and he's like, like, I right, go back to number eight. Like, we're good. He's like, yeah, we're good. So I get in there. I'm the only one in there and I can hear them up in the, uh, the projector room, like scheduling all the, uh, like trailers and like lights on lights off and all that stuff. So they went ahead and uh, ran that movie just for me. I got a private screening uh, for the love of money. And it really, it wasn't that worth it. It wasn't, (laughs) it was okay. Movie wasn't great. (laughs) You seem to uh, see like a significant percentage of movies by yourself in the theater. I recall numerous stories from you saying, Oh, I was the only one in the theater. (laughs) It happens from time to time. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think how many times it's happened this year. Maybe like two or three times. But not the, not as many as uh, as you would think. Oh, there is that one that when I saw the house next door, the dude brought his two year old kid there to have lunch, and then then hit him and dragged him out about an hour in. <laughs> that was another cat. Williams. That'll be my bonus review for the love of money. <laughs> WTM last resort. That's a last resort. <laughs> I know everyone's clamoring for that one. <laughs> I didn't even see a trailer for it. I didn't see no advertising whatsoever. I wouldn't have known it was even a movie and unless it was on the schedule when I was looking to see what was coming out that week. Yeah, I never heard of it until now. I don't think it's in the theater anymore. I think it's already come and gone. Well, I took the day off the other day, as you, as you well know. Ran some errands, you know, changed the oil in my car. You know, Brad, I delivered some movies to you as well. But then uh, I took a, a little detour down in Egan. And I met the man, the myth, the legend, Zolly Becker. <laughs> We've mentioned him a few times on the show, but so, uh, yeah. yeah, he works at a store. I think it's called Cedar Cliff Collectibles. Does that sound right? Cedar Cliff? Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know. I've never been there. So, but I know of Zolly. Yeah, it was my second time there. First time actually meeting Zolly, but uh, yeah, it's a cool store. You know, a lot of great toys from the past 40 years or so. A lot of cool collectibles. There was, <laughs> there was, okay. There was like a, a little section of like some turtles toys and whatnot. Yeah. And there was the mask that Casey Jones wears in the first one. You know what I'm talking about? It's a white hockey yeah. mask. The hockey mask. Yeah. There was a signature on it, and I'm like, Zolly, did Elias Cotia sign this mask? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and somebody, he said somebody from out of state called him, badgering them about the validity of said signature, claiming that it was a bogus Elias Cotia signature on this mask, and that it didn't look like the real one. <laughs> <laughs> which i find just fucking hilarious that someone would dig that deep into a hockey mask from 
Turtles one signed by Elias Cotius. Was it like a legit hockey mask? Was it was it like a supposed to be like the actual one from the movie, or was it? Like I think it was the or? like the toy replica from the movie. Okay, because there was I think there was another one next to it, or maybe that was just the box because it was out of the box, like in its plastic frame, and so it was clear, and so okay. I could see through it, and I could see it was signed. What was the price on that? Do you, do you I think it was like 125. There? Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> Rare collector's item. It's the business to be in. If you can move it, I guess. I guess. There's a lot of retro stuff. And like the Turtles bus was going for 100. Or not bus, sorry, van. Um, yeah. Their van was going for 100, which I had, but I think my mom threw it away. They had the blimp there as well. Turtles blimp. Wow. It was pretty sweet looking. I never had the blimp. But, no, uh, I didn't either. There's some He-Man stuff. They had uh, Castle Grayskull, which I also had. And I think my mom also threw that away. <laughs> <laughs> Need to have a word with your mom. So you hear about that that guy in Michigan who said uh, um, he sued his parents for them throwing away his, por- his vintage porn collections <laughs> and he won. He got like uh, it was like thousands of dollars in damages that he that he won from his parents throwing away his porn collection. <laughs> you should do that to your mom about your toys. <laughs> was this something you discussed on Positively Wolfie podcast? No, well, I don't think so. I'm trying to think if it came out after we we stopped recording or if it was one that. I, like fell I through picked, the cracks, I picked out but never used. Yeah, there's actually been a lot of really good potential headlines recently that could very well fill multiple episodes of Positively Wolfy. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, Zolly, man himself, uh, nice guy, cool guy, um, fun to talk to, and a great follow on Twitter. I should get his Twitter <laughs> handle right because it. Because this is the second one that I've followed. Because the first one was suspended, or he, he's maybe he's had multiple. Yeah, I don't know if he's got a backup. I think the the ones he, the one he's using was his backup. So one he's at now is at Keanu Sheev. So Keanu S H E E V. His bio is professional Jewish contrarian, Jew slash Jewish. <laughs> She couldn't tell by the username. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I was I was telling Eric that I uh it was uh my my buddy from uh Positively Wolfie, Mike, he sold his uh ringside chair from AEW on eBay. And uh <laughs> he sold it for $160 plus like 50 something dollars shipping. And he said to box it with like packaging and to ship it, it cost him $180. <laughs> but like, there's a bunch of other ones on eBay that like that it goes from like a hundred to like $500. And so like, I got, I got a handful of those chairs just sitting around. I never use them. So I, I said, Hey, Hey Zolly, you interested in uh, some chairs? He's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> He basically said, no, 
Yeah. Uh, you recommend it, I sell it on eBay, but I mean, it's so much hassle for, and I never, I don't like eBay. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's made at least two appearances on the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast. I think he's also been on some other kind of local podcasts. But, uh, yeah. And speaking of Midnight Movie Cowboys, I don't know, did we talk about it last time? I think we talked about it was in the works to do like a Christmas episode. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In passing. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's confirmed. We have a, we have a record date. We're going to record an episode with the Midnight Movie Cowboys on Die Hard 2 and top five Christmas movies. Yes. So a big jam-packed double episode for our 250th. I wonder if Die Hard 2 will make anybody's list. Uh, it's not going to make mine. Man. It's not better than the first one. Not even. It's not <laughs> even the best Die Hard Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I can tell you it's not going to be number one because Die Hard is better <laughs> than it. <laughs> Indeed. Honestly, like the top five Christmas movies, like, Everybody already knows what my number one's going to be. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you, it's a pretty easy guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we have done an episode on it. Now, naming four other Christmas movies that I really like is going to be a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's get into it. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? So last time, I did a unique challenge where I challenged you to a film that I have not seen myself. And so we both watched it. But since I challenged you to watch it, uh, you'll go last. So I will kick things off here, I guess. And seen a couple new films from 2021. The House of Gucci, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, Jared Leto, Jack Houston, Selma Hayek. I think they'll about do it for the cast. Synopsis. When Patricia Reggiani, an outsider from humble beginnings, marries into the Gucci family, her unbridled ambition begins to unravel their legacy and triggers a reckless spiral of betrayal, decadence, revenge, and ultimately murder. What a movie. What a cast. Yeah, great cast. What a cast. Mm -hmm. So uh, I didn't really know much about this story. I know it's inspired by real events. And I didn't look anything up before I saw the movie because I generally like to look things up after i see the movie you know the real life material i was in the same boat so i guess i won't talk about any spoilers about what the murder is but it's about what i expected (laughs) the the murder i mean they kind of they kind of spoil it in the opening credits (laughs) like the opening scene they do one of those uh it's they don't officially do it, but they do one of those ones where they show like the, the scene late in the movie. And then it's like, I bet you're wondering how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like, like a scene though with, 
you know, Robert De Niro <laughs> flying through the air in flames and shit like that. It was like an unofficial one of those. <laughs> it's like, I wonder who's going to get blown up in a car later in this film. <laughs> Robert De Niro just, ah. I've been pretty excited for this. Uh, I would say that maybe I was slightly let down just because I was expecting so much from it, but a uh, really solid uh, film. I loved pretty much all the performances. Jared Leto was really funny as Paolo Gucci. Oh my God. The scenes with him and Al Pacino, they play father. <laughs> Al Pacino plays Jared Leto's dad. And there's yeah. some scenes with just those two. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a funny story I heard about Jared Leto saying hi to Al Pacino when they first met on set. Cause I don't think he had met Pacino before. And he was in full Apollo makeup, you know, fat suit and everything. And he kind of introduced himself, you know, like, oh, hey, Al, nice to meet you. And I think Pacino kind of said like, oh, hey, but he was kind of like, you know, who the fuck is this dude trying to talk to me on set? Right. You know, keep the keep the help away from me type of thing. <laughs> it's kind of standoffish. And then I think his assistant was like that. That's Jared. That's it's Mr. Leto. Oh, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Now it's weird because I did uh, say on tw- I was just gonna say I, I did say on Twitter I was disappointed that they didn't cast an actual bald actor mm-hmm. in that role, but uh, you did a good job with it. Well, I'm surprised and not surprised that Leto wore a fat suit and you know didn't actually go bald because <laughs> he's I mean he is a pretty famous method actor. Right. But uh, after playing, it was uh, I'm having a brain fart. He played the guy who shot Lennon, right? Oh, I don't remember that movie. It's where he had to gain weight, and he ended up getting gout. He gained like 35, <laughs> 60 pounds. Oops. <laughs> he now he just does it the gout. other way. Now he just does it the other way. Yeah. It's skinny. Like those uh, scenes in Morbius. Morbius is coming out in uh, January, finally. You excited about Morbius? <laughs> yeah. Sure, I'll see it. <laughs> I mean, I'll see it unless they close the theaters again. <laughs> Not yeah, excited um, for it. Chapter twenty-seven is the name of the film I'm thinking of from 2007, where he played Mark David Chapman. That's the guy's name. Couldn't think of him. He but, really liked uh, uh, Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a picture of Jared Leto. But yeah, he gained, uh, it was like 55, 65 pounds for the role. And he got terrible gout. And so I think his doctor's like, you can't do this anymore. <laughs> this is, these are some serious health problems you're getting. He probably needs to spread it out. You know, they give himself some more lead time to put the weight on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised he uh, didn't gain weight again for this. <laughs> Christian Christian Bale would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it actually the this film kind of gave me uh American hustle type vibes. Christian Bale gained actual weight for that one. Yeah. And he was bald but had the comb over. And they they had similar, they even have one or two similar tracks on the soundtrack between the films. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, I, I like American Hustle a lot better. But um, yeah, this one, uh, House of Gucci does have a good soundtrack. It just, it never, I guess, fully took off for me. I enjoyed pretty much, it didn't really drag. So I enjoyed pretty much all of it, but it just, it didn't reach the heights that I wanted it to. So uh, I'll give it an eventually. Eventually. Oh, I loved it. I loved House of Gucci. And I'm the opposite of you. I liked it a lot more than American Hustle. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, at first I was a little wary. Like I, I was a little uh, when the when the advertising started coming out for this, but like the closer it came to the the show, uh, to the the release date, the more excited for it I got, and uh, I thought it was amazing. I, I loved every minute of it. Um, I would give it a soonish. Soonish. Do you think Pacino was wearing a uh, fat suit? No, because there's some dudes like eighty two years old. And he has, has like a massive gut for like, cause he's not, he doesn't look huge. Like he doesn't have a really fat face you know, or anything like that. He just seems like a typical 82 year old, but like, just, yeah, he just got old man body, but, but like the, the belly kind of pointed, it was like, a, it was a perky pot belly is what I think. That's why I thought maybe it's a, you know, it didn't sag as much as it thought it would for an 82 year old. So I thought maybe he's you know wearing a little something extra to play you know aldo gucci he's probably got one of those old man bodies where he still works out but he's still got a fucking beer gut yeah you know (laughs) so he's just like fat on top of muscle yeah just looks weird he's still moving pretty well how about that uh, massage scene (laughs) (laughs) pretty good you gotta get a real good look at him in that one (laughs) That was a great scene, anyways. <laughs> oh, right, what so. one problem I had with House of Gucci was they had a scene set in like 1985, and uh, somebody has a gift card, and like those weren't invented for like ten more years. <laughs> so I, I was like, "What? What is going on in the scene? Like the scene is great, like otherwise, but like yeah, like that anachronism. I'm like, what? What is?" Oh, you just took me out of the movie for a minute, but like otherwise, that that scene would have been perfect. After like the, you get to like eighty three in the timeline, like after that, they're really bad at like telling you what year it is, and then all of a sudden oh, it's like ninety five. You have to like, like wait. <laughs> is there like a separation? And like, it, are they been separated for like seven years? Like, what's going on here? What what right. year is it? You have to like look at the daughter and guess how old she is like you get an idea when the daughter was born and they're like well she's a teenager now so it's been a while <laughs> but it still feels like it's the late 80s still now outside right. i i agree that the the timeline is a little confusing and i feel like they jump back and forth a couple times because they give some specific dates earlier on and they're like oh this is 83 and then from yep. this you can gather like oh this is probably about 85 but then it's like nothing until, okay, now it's 95. And it feels <laughs> like some things are out of order. Like, I don't, I don't know, but yeah, I, I forgave that. Cause every, like the performances were so great. Like it was yeah. so entertaining and it was such a wild story too. Mm-hmm. You can play a drinking game with this movie. Drink every time they say chic. <laughs> <laughs> it's chic. <laughs> Uh, let's move on though all right what else did you see 
I saw 2021's Ghostbusters colon Afterlife directed by Jason Reitman starring Carrie Coon, Paul Rudd, Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, Logan Kim, uh, Celeste O'Connor, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts. And the synopsis is... When a single mom and her two kids arrive in a small town, they begin to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. Sorry to interject. I wasn't listening close enough. Did they list the ghost of Harold Ramis in the, in the, the credits there in IMDb? Really? Well, I don't know, because there's somebody... I did not read off Harold Ramis. There is somebody credited as the ghost farmer, uh, a guy named Bob Gunton. Who may be the ghost of Harold Ramos? <laughs> okay. So I haven't seen it, but I know the ghost of Harold Ramos shows up. Well, like the, the first scene is like his death scene. It's like it was an all, all advertising that, you know, it's his uh estranged daughter and her kids inherit his farm in Oklahoma when he dies. Yeah. So it starts off with him with his dying scene. And it's I don't know, like it seems like they they set out to make it kind of a tribute to Harold Ramis, which I guess is admirable. But like the tone in the this movie seemed like extremely serious for a Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, like they almost went too far in the opposite direction um, from the 2016 Ghostbusters, which was all like Scooby Doo fucking cartoon shit. Uh, or is this one? I was like, there wasn't a ton of comedy, and uh, like the uh, the granddaughter character, like, is intentionally not funny. Like, she's got a running gag throughout the movie where she tells jokes that are bad on purpose, <laughs> and I felt like that was probably a a uh, response to the reaction uh, that the 2016 ghostbusters got about female ghostbusters can't be funny so they're like <laughs> well we'll prove you uh we'll prove to you just how unfunny they can be by making this female character intentionally not funny and they're not even like so bad that they're funny jokes like like she deadpan delivers every single one of them like it, it's just bad <laughs> like it's not funny Paul Rudd just kind of plays himself. And a lot of it is a rehash of, of the first movie. Uh, they bring back like all the like evil characters, all the evil ghost characters from the first movie. And uh, they kind of run through that whole storyline and very fast, in a, a very fast uh, way. Uh, and it doesn't, uh, it seems very rushed in how they get to that part of the story. Um, at least the first half of the movie is like establishing characters, which is fine. But like, like I said, it's very serious. Like you go to the Ghostbusters ex- expecting to laugh a little bit. You would think. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I guess if you, if you want to see a tribute to Harold Ramis and, you know, there's, you know, they reunite, I guess it's a bit of a spoiler, but apparently it was in the advertising. So you can say it. You know, when the old Ghostbusters reunite, maybe it brings a tear to your eye, but it takes an awful long time to get there. 
<laughs> and you're not gonna have a lot of like even the audience wasn't laughing at much like like i get that sometimes my sense of humor isn't the the mainstream sense of humor but like even like the audience that was watching the movie with me like they only chuckled a few times and it wasn't like you know over the top laughter at anything so i i would say you could skip this one it's a it's a wtm last resort it's a last resort and i don't know it's it's probably better than the 2016 one but like you know i if you're a fan of the the original and the the original sequel i would uh say you don't need to see this one well i saw a 2021 film on the hbo max there you go called king richard i went to the theater to see that one Mm. it was was like a packed house yeah it was a pretty full house it was directed by ronaldo marcus green i've not heard of before see what else has he done 17 directing credits they do music videos um no he has a bunch of shorts and then uh a film called monsters and men from 2018 that's on hulu and has john david washington in it and kevin harrison jr joe bell haven't heard of that this is marky mark oh you did joe bell i saw that okay it should (laughs) they should have called it the guilt trip but i think that title was already taken Joe Bell is about a guy who walks across country after suicide because he feels guilty about it. So uh, you broke up a little bit. He walks across country. What suicide? Joe Bell walks across the country after his gay son commits suicide because he feels guilty about it. Okay. That's about it. That's like the whole movie. And then he yells at his wife a few times. (laughs) He's just not a good parent. He's not a good person. (laughs) Uh, so this film stars Will Smith, Anjane Ellis, John Bernthal, Sanaya Sidney, Demi Singleton. I wonder if that's a uh, relation to John Singleton. Some nepotism in the, in the ranks, maybe. You know, John Singleton's been dead, right? Yeah, and? Well, how's he getting uh, somebody related to him i'm just saying like 2021 20, <laughs> <laughs> i know he didn't direct it or produce this movie i'm just saying child of the industry i would make a joke there but it would be politically incorrect and we're already going to talk about soul man so better not <laughs> uh also starring tony goldwyn who i always just recognize as the villain from kiss the girls I he has a very, very unique, deep voice. Who did he play in King Richard? Played uh, Paul Cohen. He was the uh, first coach. Oh, he was like Pete Sampras's coach? Yeah. Okay. And then they switched to John Bernthal. But yeah, he was the first guy. He's also the villain in uh, Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the only two I things I've seen that either. But he, this, never, that dude like... Done that. He like doesn't age. Like he looks the same as he did 30 years ago. I mean, shit, if he was in Ghost, yeah. I mean, he looks pretty young. Like I would have guessed he's probably in his 40s. 
but yeah. I mean, if he was in Ghost, he must be in his fifties or sixties at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michaela Lachey Bartholomew, Danielle Lawson, Layla Crawford, Erica Ringer, and Noah Bean. I guess Kevin Dunn is in there as well. A lot of people would know. Synopsis. A look at how tennis superstars Venus and Serena Williams became who they are after the coaching from their father, Richard Williams. Uh, This is biopic of King Richard, (laughs) the father of the Williams sisters. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I had... uh, been interested to see it because i can't remember the last time i wanted to see a will smith movie for like his acting it's been decades yeah it's been a while I think the last time like like oh will smith's uh he's gonna be into like a, an awards contender it, it was the aughts it must have been concussion must yeah have been the last he one, did right? get some a little buzz for that but i you know, that movie, I mean, it wasn't even a hit with critics. <laughs> I think I only got about halfway through that movie. And then I, I don't know, I, I dozed off or something or I just stopped. But I, I remember he got some buzz for that one. Like people were like, oh, well, it's so good. He played that African doctor who, you know, discovered all the concussion stuff. Tell the truth. Was he even nominated um, for an Oscar? I, I let's see here. I want to say yes, but uh, no. Not... He's been nominated twice in '02 and '07 for Ali and uh, Pursuit of Happiness. Okay, he must have got at least like Golden Globes or something nominations for concussion, but. Which does not count. <laughs> Probably just missed the cut for uh, for Oscars. But yeah, the last movie I saw him in was Gemini Man, which was bad. Oh, you watched that, huh? It was bad. I didn't. I did, I guess I didn't get the full experience because I didn't see it in the the 3D with the like 60 frames per second or whatever. Like he did the goofy, the goofy frames per second. I just sat on the regular. Yeah. One of them dirty ass uh, AMC screens at the theater by my place. You know about that. You saw Dune on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did. Like the the worst screen to see Um, Dune on. I did enjoy uh, Bad Boys for Life. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Other than that, that, I don't do that. I can't. I mean, that's not. You, you don't go to see that for a, a Sterling Smith performance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the last, I mean, besides that, the last Will Smith movie I enjoyed was probably I Am Legend. And that's a, I enjoyed it. It wasn't great. <laughs> not as good as the original. Yeah. Or, you know, original two. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw, I, I saw Will Smith's first and I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this was just what I needed. I thought Will Smith was uh, fantastic in here. 
And I've always been interested in the Williams sisters uh, story, kind of followed their careers a little bit. More so Serena than, than Venus. Yeah, Venus has kind of been out of tennis for a while. Trying to think when mm-hmm. the last, I mean, it's probably been close to 10 years. Yeah, because Serena's only a few years older than me. Maybe about five, because she's almost I think 40, at the end, she? About 38, maybe. At the end of the movie, they said Venus is 41 and Serena is 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Okay. Okay, so she's about five years older than me. But uh, yeah, anyways, I thought there was a lot of good performances in here. John Bernthal seems to be good in everything he's in. He must he must have got paid a lot in this movie because he's in it for more than like five to ten minutes. He, like he's got a good like <laughs> like ten scenes in there. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Will Smith's great. I like everyone, all the actors who played the family, but they're you know Vitas and Serena. They were all very good and looked. Uh, pretty similar to their real life counterparts when you see some old pictures of Venus and Serena. Yeah, they show some pictures of the actual people in the end and uh, in the end credits. And yeah, I didn't at first. I didn't think they looked that similar to the the real people, but like they do. Like at that age, they look very mm-hmm. much like them. And uh, I also thought that King Richard himself, that the character was pretty fascinating kind of in the vein of the overzealous parent a la, you know, Earl Woods. Right. You know, people that are kind of <laughs> building their children into champions through any means necessary. 78-page plan for their career before they was even born. <laughs> <laughs> now, reading, like, the real-life story of uh, Richard Williams after the, I've seen the film, so a little more eye-opening. Oh, he had a whole other family that he just forgot. They, they do mention that in the film. Uh, there's a scene where they bring that up. But it's not like a major, like otherwise it's not a major plot point. Like they just kind of mm-hmm. like don't mention it besides the one scene. But uh, as I saw that article about his, uh, one of his daughters from his first family, his first marriage. And uh, she basically said, like, he was a ghost, like the rest of his like They he just kind of left and then never really came back. Yeah. yeah I, so he, <laughs> he kind of seems like a real piece of shit there. <laughs> yeah, I, but, I was um, surprised at how positively he was portrayed. Like yeah. he's he's definitely like a like a stage father. Like uh, he definitely pushed his kids to follow his path and things like that. And. Like even there's some stuff where you know you you can see the kind of ego he has where he's like doing all the interviews and stuff, but like at the end of the day, like for for his current family, he's 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 like a good father. Like he's always like there for them, but like looking out to make sure that you know they're getting the best out of their their life, and that he's uh, leading them in the right direction. So. I was a little surprised because I, I had this, uh, or I, I, I kind of remember him being kind of portrayed in more negative ways, like uh, you know, in in the real press. Uh, so I was a little surprised mm-hmm. that that he he got more of a positive portrayal in this movie. But I agree, 
Will Smith was fantastic all year for sure. I see what you're saying. Although I, I didn't, to me, it didn't come off as positive as I guess, I guess it did for you. Like there's plenty of people along the way that question his judgment and his methods. And to me, it kind of seemed like at the end, right, right. like when, you know, Venus and Serena kind of make it, it was more because he got lucky and not that his methods were the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took, I, I kind of, I, I guess we could agree on that. Like I took it more of uh, different than you where where I thought it kind of justified the way that he, you know, guided their path through their career and that they were successful. Also, you know, he's not in a super, like he's not a hundred percent positive light. Right. Yeah. But I thought they would go way more negative with it. Like there's a lot less negative uh, stuff about him than there is. Uh, yeah. Positive. So yeah, after, after watching the movie and researching it, I did, you know, kind of notice how they glossed over uh, many of facts. Although right. I did really, I won't spoil the scene, but there's a scene where Will Smith is, I guess you could say, trying to prove himself. He doesn't want to be uh, seen as a weakling. He's going to handle some business. <laughs> yeah, he's going to handle some business. <laughs> and I was like, what is this movie? Is this scene is going on? I'm like, what's going to happen? I have no idea what the hell is going on here. Well, that was such an amazing scene. Uh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. That was fucking great. All times, yeah, like, like I said, the, the, the theater audience that I was with was, it was a pretty full house. Almost, almost sold out. There were a couple times where the crowd got pretty rowdy. <laughs> um, a lot, a lot of times it was, it had to do when Mama Williams spoke, uh, you know, she, it, uh, she was pretty popular there. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, definitely. I think it was a hit with the, with the audience that I was uh, seeing it with. I really liked it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I would, uh, I really recommend it. The only part I would knock is there's a scene in there where Someone farts. I won't say who, and I won't say when, but they use the most stock fart noise you've ever heard. It's it's the same one you've heard over and over again on TV and movies for 25 years. Now I was just like, you can't just record another fart sound, please. It's so fake. You know, the person who farts isn't actually farting. I guess I I overlooked that. <laughs> and again, I was I was laughing too hard. Yeah, it was it was, it was a great scene. <laughs> but I was like, come on, like it could have been the perfect scene, and then it's a generic fart noise. I'm like, come on. But yeah, um, <laughs> love the movie. I will give it a soonish. Soonish. Hundred percent agree. Soonish. That's uh, that's what I would give it. Also, so welcome back, Will Smith. Now quit telling us about your fucking personal life and keep acting. You know, he's making bright too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well aware because it did so well on, it did, it did very well on Netflix. I remember when it came out, it was like, everyone's watching bright. I'm like, not me. 
Is that like you fell asleep watching something and it just automatically yeah. switch? Is that like like CBS is always the number one network because old people watch the Wheel of Fortune and fall asleep and it just keeps going? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. What else have you seen recently? I saw another 2021 movie called Come On, Come On. Mm. And it's, uh, it's not that song that they used on that uh, Dennis Lillery TV show. Uh, it was uh, written and directed by Mike Mills. Stars Joaquin Phoenix, Gabby Hoffman, Woody Norman, Scoot McNary. There's a name. Molly Webster, uh, some guy whose name is cut off here. Let's see what his full name is. Jabuki Young White, Deborah Strang. That's a bit. Let's see. Synopsis A radio journalist embarks on a cross country trip with his young nephew. No, I didn't. I didn't realize based on the trailers that it was his nephew. He was uh, spending time with. I, I assumed it was his son, but it is in fact his nephew, who uh, he has to take care of because his sister um, is dealing with her ex-husband's uh, mental health crisis. So he, she needs somebody to watch her son, and she uh, enlists her brother to do it. And it's. Uh, you know, it's an A24 movie. It's in black and white. Real, real artsy. But uh, real down to earth, too. I thought it was uh, it was really relatable. Um, and I, I thought it was, um, you know, I, I don't know how to, I don't want to spoil stuff. Not that there's a lot to spoil. It's basically Joaquin Phoenix bonding with his nephew <laughs> while he watches him. Uh, it's, it's kind of the whole movie. They, he kind of takes him on some of his work trips with him and um, part of his, uh, his current project as a radio journalist is asking children what they think the future is going to be like. So they get some of that in there. And um, I don't know. Like, I thought it was pretty good. It was better. It was different, but better than I thought it, what I thought it was going to be. Okay. Um, so like Joaquin said, Phoenix really, is pretty good. Yeah, he is. I mean, he plays a he plays a fat guy. <laughs> so he's back to his his normal stuff after Joker. Um, but uh, yeah, like uh, it's just kind of like a, a slice of life with you know two characters trying to make things work and. Um, you know, I thought it was really enjoyable. I'll give it a eventually. Eventually. All right. The last film that I'm going to talk about is from 1992. Deep Cover. Directed by Bill Duke. Bill Duke himself. He's starring berets for breakfast. <laughs> sure does. He's the kind of guy that shaves his head with a knife <laughs> and he doesn't need shaving cream he just needs good old-fashioned sweat he's a dry blade <laughs> all right uh stars Lawrence fishburne jeff goldblum lira angel or angel i should say uh renee asa 
Bruce Paul Barber, Clifton Powell from Norba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roger Genevere Smith, Glenn Turman. They had a couple people from The Wire in here. Glenn Turman was the uh, the first mayor, the mayor that Carcetti replaced. Okay, I believe I'm gonna double check that now. Yeah, Mayor Clarence V. Royce. That's his name on the show. And Clarence Williams III as uh, Samson Simpson in uh, Half Baked. That's where you remember him from, probably. That's where I knew oh, him from. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, synopsis. A uniformed cop is recruited by a drug enforcement agent to infiltrate a drug smuggling ring looking to expand its operation. So, yeah, Lawrence Fishburne is the cop in question. And uh, he's tasked with taking down a drug kingpin who Jeff Goldblum is like, kind of like a middleman for. And he has to kind of work his way just to get into the presence of Jeff Goldblum. So, you know, it's kind of one of those films where he goes deep undercover, <laughs> if you will. And, you know, uh, you say uh, reality and gets bl- the line between right and wrong gets blurred good performances i didn't really recall this film like growing up so because I, I got this on a criterion sale i heard some good things about it but when i was in uh cedar cliff collectibles there was a deep cover dvd and i was like oh yeah i've seen that dvd like a hundred fucking times all right <laughs> it's a really plain looking older dvd yeah but yeah i guess i never knew that's what that was because i never seen the movie of course but yeah, uh, a lot of fun performances. Jeff Goldblum is pretty uh, pretty fun in here. A rare villain role. But he's just like a cokehead. <laughs> well, this is prime cokehead Jeff Goldblum we're talking about because Jurassic Park was just a year later and he is yeah. definitely on coke in that movie. <laughs> a lot of good tension. Definitely a, a bit of a unique take on this undercover cop type genre, subgenre, if you will. It isn't paint by numbers. It doesn't go exactly how you think it will. So I found that refreshing. And yeah, just enjoyable all around. And actually, uh, Low Res Wonderbread actually just did an episode on this film probably about a month ago, maybe. It's on YouTube. So give that a look-see. Uh, it was a pretty good episode. But yeah, this is kind of a forgotten about gem from the early 90s. And uh, a good sight unseen buy from Criterion, which... I mean, lately I've been, I've been gambling pretty hard with that. Yeah. Cause I, I got bit twice very hard by the big chill <laughs> in Nashville <laughs> and I'd give Nashville another chance, but fuck it as a struggle to get through. And the big chill was just oofed up. It's, it's going to be a long time before I give that another chance and an eighties movie, no less. At least with deep cover, you can just throw on the uh, end credits, to listen to the theme song. Yeah. And uh, yeah, great soundtrack in here. It's like Dr. Dre's debut solo album is on here or whatever, or solo track. And uh, the end credits, it ends with one night seven under undercover cop. It's pretty perfect. <laughs> oh, I love that uh, yeah. song. Yeah, the soundtrack is great. Hit so, that yeah. motherfucker G. I'm kind of in between on this one, but I'm going to give it a soonish. Ooh, soonish. Really enjoyed that deep cover. Coming strong. 
very satisfied with my buy. Soonish. So let's get to the movie challenge section of the episode. Yeah. You challenged me to watch a movie that you had not seen yet, but had recently purchased. The very controversial 1986 movie, Soul Man. 35th anniversary. I do I do like the uh the poster that they have on it for uh or IMDB's poster for it, but the tagline is guess who's coming to college? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that Sidney Poitier movie. Indeed. Directed by Steve Miner, and it stars C. Thomas Howell, Ray Don Chong. Ari Gross, James Earl Jones, Melora Hardin. Remember her from The Office? Sure do. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen. Jan. Jan, Jan from the tits. She, she Jan from The Office, yeah. She had the jungle fever in this movie. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, let's see. Leslie Nielsen. I'll repeat his name. Ann Walker, uh, James Seeking, Max Wright, Jeff Altman, Julia Louise Dreyfus, mm-hmm. uh, Marie Chatham, Wallace Langham. Who's the uh, psychologist's name in this movie? Do you remember? I'm trying to find that credit. Oh, that's Max Wright, Dr. Aronson. You already that, read it. Is that Max Wright? Okay. From Alf, Max Wright, the dad from Alf. He's the uh, he's the the he's the the psychiatrist of the the main character's dad. <laughs> uh, synopsis: To achieve his dream of attending Harvard, a pampered teen poses as a young black man to receive a full scholarship. Oh, this movie must be canceled on premise alone. Indeed. So for it kind of caters to the people who would be canceling it <laughs> in a lot of ways. And it does. Honestly, I this is like the third movie I've seen where a white guy turns black. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, Tropic Thunder. You're counting that? No. <laughs> okay, so four. <laughs> no, I wasn't counting Tropic Thunder. Um, I was counting black like me, which I think the, this probably took a lot of influence from black like me, which was a movie based on, I want to say a a series of like magazine articles about a journalist who took like melanin inducing pills and got really dark tan and then went around the South during the segregation and then wrote about his experience as a black man in the segregated South. So that, that movie is very serious and very mm-hmm. sympathetic to the, the way that uh, black people get treated in America. And obviously it was set in the, it was set in the fifties or sixties, uh, late fifties, or early sixties. So I can see a lot of influence from that in this movie. They were like, let's do that movie, but funny, but I've also <laughs> seen the watermelon man which is more of an accidental change of race. It's a, it's a Melvin Van Peoples directed movie. Mm -hmm. 
recently uh, passed Melvin Van Peoples or uh, right. sorry Mario Van Peoples right or Melvin Mario Mario is the son of so I'm mixing up their names yeah I believe it's Melvin Melvin the father just, Melvin just died yeah so in that movie a white man just wakes up one day and he's black <laughs> and it's just like comedic like shenanigans of him trying to adjust to his new race mm-hmm. and the way uh, people treat him differently. Now, with Soul Man, they don't... I feel like they kind of pussyfooted it. Like, I felt the uh, very similar to the way I felt after I saw the movie The Ringer with Johnny Knoxville, <laughs> or he pretends to be a special needs person to win the Special Olympics, where, like... You have this premise and you're kind of your mind kind of runs wild with what you could do with it, but they don't quite go that far. They they kind of like hold back on uh how extensive they can or like how, how extreme they can go with the with the gimmick. That being said, there are some funny stuff, some funny things in this. And, and they do have some social commentary. Leslie Nielsen plays a racist uh landlord. <laughs> he's kind of like racist on the down low because <laughs> he like he can't do anything about it but you know he, he wants to do something about it when a black man moves into his building and uh and then his his wife and daughter are both very interested in uh interracial uh relations mm-hmm. but yeah so so like i said like Having seen those other movies, like this one seemed a little like reserved in comparison to some of the stuff that happens in the other movies. And then they, I thought they kind of did a cop out where like, uh, like he learns a lesson, but like he doesn't have any like real consequences. So I, I think overall I would give it a last resort. That's a last resort. As would I. Um, there's things I liked about it. And it wasn't uh, as offensive I mean, saying this as a white guy, uh, it wasn't as offensive as I thought it was going to be. Like the article I read about it made it, you know, it's one of those things where it, things sound more offensive when you write them down without context. Yeah. You know, it's like with Chappelle's special, everything he said, you know, well, if you just write it down and don't provide any context, <laughs> it becomes less funny and out of context, bigotry. And then <laughs> in context, right. it's funny and enlightening. But yeah, so it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And yeah, definitely it was one of those films where you could tell it was made by people involved with the progressive left in the 80s. Yeah. And progressive left now would look back and I go, wow, I can't believe they were this racist. It's terrible people. It reminded me of uh, that Happy Days episode, The Best Man, where the Cunninghams host a black wedding in their house. I don't know if I saw that one. Oh, you got to see it. I don't remember. I don't remember off the top of my head. Opening Anthony uh, did a, like a commentary, like they watched it on air one day when they're on the radio Mm. and with Jim Norton too. And they just, uh, it is hilarious. You can watch it along with them. You can go to YouTube and look it up. Mm -hmm. It's like just do opening Anthony, happy days, racist, or the best man. It's from season one. I was talking to Stu, with Stu about it uh, for Midnight Movie Cowboys. He's like, oh, I got, I got to see this because I got to see if I if I have that episode because he has some of them on DVD and he does. It's from season one. 
like episode 14 or something. It's early, but there's a lot of really forced jokes. You can tell it was one of those progressive scripts and right. episodes from the from the 70s. And it's like, you know, let's let's try and fix these race relations in America with an episode. Nice happy go lucky episode on on uh, happy days where it's like the groom was a war buddy of uh, Mr. Cunningham mm-hmm. and he's visiting from out of town. And like he walks around the corner and like one of the uh, the daughters is dressed in a big white cloak and hood, <laughs> like a KKK member. And it was she was doing like her invisible man routine. Oh, my God. It's like that's like a bit. That's like a joke. <laughs> and like he walks into the kitchen and she's chopping up watermelon and she's like, oh, um, oh, we all we always have this much watermelon on hand, you know, like all like nervous and embarrassed. <laughs> right just really cringy like four stereotypical jokes and we're like hey this is gonna <laughs> this is this is gonna change race relations in america this is progressive like everybody's just accidentally racist you know they're not really racist <laughs> yeah. but just coincidentally like the stuff they do comes off as racist so at, at the time they're like everything that is thought to be super progressive is actually the opposite <laughs> <laughs> Especially to look at it, you know, with with twenty twenty vision, but it's kind of funny how that it always just switches, right? And definitely with Soul Man, you could feel like they thought it was going to be an important movie, like we're going to get James Earl Jones and he's going to teach this white kid a lesson about how you know how hard it is to be black in America because he's like, oh, it's the eighties, it's the Cosby generation. <laughs> You know, like people love black people now. Like, and, and he only runs into like a couple of different like inconveniences based on his race. And, and, and it feels really sanitized, but also like he gets like, like, you know, he, he gets to be the better man after it all. Like he learns mm-hmm. the lesson and, and like he, he comes out on top, you know, even though he's, he's really like a piece of shit, you know? Yeah, I find it uh, amusing that what was once thought to be like the most progressive thing ever, that Happy Days episode in the 70s, or this type of stuff from the 80s. And it's like, oh, so people don't look at that the same way. But yet, the progressive left nowadays thinks that what they do, their portrayals in media, things like that, they're like, that's never going to be questioned again. This is, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. We got it right this time. (laughs) <laughs> exactly that's right we need to we need to separate you know people at colleges that we need to give the blacks their own a commencement you know we need to separate them <laughs> this will never be second guessed because they finally got it right they've solved race relations well one thing that i i find amusing is like almost every commercial now that has like a like a couple it's always an interracial couple like mm-hmm. it's almost never like a same race couple anymore. And they're like, yeah. like, we did it. This is it. <laughs> this is diversity. <laughs> this, is, this is inclusion. <laughs> uh, like now buy your stuff. <laughs> uh, don't even get me started on social media. All right. Well, uh, now you should probably challenge me to watch something for next time. 
kind of mentioned to you what i wanted to, to challenge you to and i i'm gonna do it but as i was watching this i thought man i should have you watch watermelon man <laughs> but maybe maybe we'll take a little break between our <laughs> our race switching movies and uh i i've been telling you i'm gonna challenge you to see uh or to watch the punisher war zone for probably like two years now and i'm finally mm-hmm. gonna pull the trigger and make you make you watch it all right uh, quite fun it's a it's a superhero movie that's actually fun i'm gonna be totally lost because this guy does not look like thomas jane at all well it's weird because it's kind of a reboot but also a bit of a sequel and i don't <laughs> does his family die again <laughs> kind of like they <laughs> like they kind of flash back to it okay like they're already <laughs> de- like he's already the punisher at the beginning but like they kind of flash back to his family dying and it's different i think it's different than the first movie i can't remember but okay newman's in it <laughs> from seinfeld all right well i'll be looking out for that i'm sure that'll come out before our episode 250 also coming out before episode 250 is an episode on the santa claus we're going to do that as a christmas movie so i'll be looking out for that the movie that caused a generation of children to not know how to spell it the name santa claus (laughs) i have not watched santa claus since it's been over 20 years yeah i'm trying to think of like 97 or so 96 97 i'm sure i saw it in the theater i I can't remember the last time i watched it but it's it's probably been at least 15 years maybe Mm -hmm. more so yeah i'm interested to see it again see how it's aged (laughs) (laughs) well tim allen he never goes out of style you know this is this is back when Tim Allen was on top of the world. He was hot shit. He was grunting all over the place. Home Improvement, and Toy Story, and the Santa Claus. Massive hits. He was right at home with all that white powder around the house. <laughs> yeah, he sure was. <laughs> Couldn't sell it this time, though. All right. Um, so, yeah, we'll kind of wrap up the show a little bit, and then we'll talk a little more about Soul Man with spoilers. So, Brett, why don't you tell the folks at home, they can get their hands on some lovely merch and help out the show you can head on over to wtm watch this movie dot creator dash spring.com check out our merchandise there get your orders in and uh they might get there by christmas no guarantees but uh you know would make a good gift i i assume indeed you can uh, reach out to us. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie and uh, Mr. Positivity at PositivelyWolf1. Check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com and please rate and review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. So the first thing I want to bring up with Soul Man, I thought the biggest laugh of the film was inside the first five minutes and maybe you know where i'm going with this but i was almost on the floor laughing when his friend out of nowhere bursts through the door and runs and jumps on top of c thomas howell just mounts him that scene was pretty good because <laughs> it was then... just like he's he's laying there with a girl he just you know had met the night before presumably and he's like oh shit you know maybe i don't want to wake her up or 
maybe I do. And what happened last night? Yeah, you forgot that she was there because he has like three different alarms go off. He's got to chuck tennis balls across the room to turn them off mm-hmm. at noon. And, uh, and he rolls over and he's like, he's like looking, he's like, who's that? And then he's like looking, oh, she's naked. It must have been a good night. and it's just like a hard cut like you hear the door burst open and somebody you don't even know who the hell this guy is right for all you know he could be an intruder (laughs) and he kind of is but he's like his best friend and he just jumps on the bed just cowgirl position right on (laughs) hilarious i liked how that scene ended too he's like don't you think an introduction is in order and then uh, C. Thomas Hall, who's been in bed with the girl all night, leans over and goes, hi, I'm Mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it, cuts, then it cuts to the opening credits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, there, there was some other funny scenes, but and um, there was some cringy stuff, but the stuff I found the most cringy, I guess, was probably the two racists that sole purpose is to show up in every other scene and tell a racist joke. Right. No offense. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> and it's like, you, you could tell that was just some, you know, super liberal dude. Like, Ooh, this is, this is going to win us over. This is what we need. We need to bring this out into the, into the light. Like, am I, am I supposed to be laughing at those jokes or am I supposed to be like, that's not funny. And then yeah. cheer when he gets when he punches them at the end, you know, as a white man, he punches them as a white man, you know, mm-hmm. after he's <laughs> after he stopped taking his uh, tanning pills. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's obviously dating the uh, the African American uh, female lead there towards the end, so he's gained a new perspective on life, and uh, he discovered that he actually indeed did take money away from a person of color, which is what the whole, you know, crux of the movie is. He, he can't afford Harvard because his dad for dumb reasons is like, I'm not going to give you money, even though he's rich. Right. They they have a fucking mansion. Yeah. They they got money. And so he finds this grant that is given out to, you know, underprivileged uh, students of color. And so he gets it that way. But uh, he, he had looked it up at, like towards the beginning of the movie. He's like, yeah, there's like, he said something like no one else applied or there's one other person and then they got some other grant or something or other or dropped out of school. Yeah, it was like Harvard had a scholarship for the best black student in Los Angeles to come to Harvard Law School. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like the, nobody else had applied for it. So he's like, oh, it doesn't hurt anybody. And he, so he applies and he gets it. Well, he finds out later that uh, the uh, Ray Don Chong, her character, would have gotten it because she's from San Diego. And if nobody in Los Angeles applies for it, it goes statewide. So they had assumed that the money would just go to waste and nobody would get it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she would have, I don't know, she claims she would have gotten it. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, she ends up getting the money in the end but that was one thing too like he gets the girl at the end even though he was like, lying to her the whole time she she catches him with fucking 
the, the landlord's daughter in his bedroom jan in her in her under in her underwear and uh she's like oh yeah i'll forgive you you know we can we can go out you can hang around my son you, you, you know? took money away from a single mother <laughs> and so he's uh he's got no consequences really like i guess he agrees to have some monetary uh damages or whatever and uh volunteers his time you know post-grad and money and all that stuff and you know but the lesson was you know uh black people have it harder than white people but um i could have always gone back to being a white person so i i have it easier even as a black person was his Mm -hmm. lesson and it's like that's kind of a cop-out man (laughs) (laughs) fucking scam the system but you're just like and then like the defense was uh he had his buddy come in and do the defense like yeah oh it's because of his upbringing and you think oh well obviously since you know he's white you you you're getting it you know you know what he's saying but like if you thought he was a black man you thought it would it would sound really racist mm-hmm. you know like it was because of his upbringing because of his culture and skin color blah 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 and he was basically saying as a rich white kid he doesn't have a work ethic or some shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, we forgive him. He learned his lesson. Give him his white privilege back. Yeah, it's just like the the cringy stuff with like the hitting you over the head with this is wrong. This right. should not be being said by people in, in 1980s America. It's like that's that's like the worst stuff. Like the other stuff that you know they criticize now. You know, like, oh, this, you know, this is too politically incorrect for now. And it's like, yeah, maybe at the time that sort of that scene or, you know, that was thought of differently. But now it's like everyone knows that you're not supposed to do that. Okay. It's not a, right. And it's not something they have to hit you over the head with and say, Mm -hmm. this is wrong. You know, they don't need a big revelation at the end. So it's like that, that stuff's more enjoyable. Whereas the stuff where they're hitting you over the head with it, it just seems like they're, cramming in a bunch of racist stuff <laughs> into the movie <laughs> like with those jokes well like the the dinner scene i don't know how to feel about that because it was probably one of the funnier scenes in the movie mm-hmm. but also one of the the cringiest just because like they so so he's at dinner with leslie nielsen and his family leslie nielsen and his wife and his daughter and like they show the from each of the the white people's perspective, like what their vision of this black person is. Mm -hmm. And like the wife wants to have sex with them. She sees them as like a slave. And then what the daughter sees them, I can't remember what she sees them as, but then the dad sees him as like a, like a pimp. And, you know, he starts talking about, you know, his daughter real disrespectfully. And uh, I don't know. Like, that was that was probably the most offensive scene, but yeah. Like also, like I don't, I don't know. It just it almost felt out of place because that was like the furthest they took everything, and uh, everything else was kind of tame compared to that. It was the peak, I guess. <laughs> it peaked. I guess what I'm trying to say is I expected more good racism, and I wanted less bad racism. <laughs> I wanted the more fun, lighthearted racism instead of a lecture. Right. Because the lecture kind of takes the, the comedy out of it. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm interested to to see what you would think of Watermelon Man, because like the racism is much more extreme. But I think since like Melvin Van Peebles is behind it, and he probably has more experience with it than Steve Miner and whoever wrote this movie, <laughs> like. Like he's able to put humor in situations that are like objectively horrific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I think it's a superior movie to this. Um, definitely funnier, but also they do it in reverse. They have a, a in Watermelon Man, the main actor is a black man who starts off white and then turns black. So like he's not doing blackface; he's doing whiteface. So it's a little bit different. Yeah, like that Eddie Murphy sketch in Saturday Night Live, which is yeah. hilarious. <laughs> when black people aren't around, white people give each other things for free. <laughs> what are you doing? Nobody's around. Just take it. <laughs> it's hilarious. Because I think that was a parody of like the black like me, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was like the, the reverse black like me. Mm-hmm. And uh Watermelon is kind of, it's kind of like black like me, but not intentional. Like it's like, it's an accidental black like me or like, you know, he experiences all the the racism, even though like he was white yesterday, everybody treats him like he's been black his whole life. Yeah. You know, and you really see the difference. And that was, that came out in like 1970, I want to say. So it was like at the kind of the peak of the, uh, the, the race riots and stuff like that mm-hmm. and there's some of that in the you know in the background of that movie too so but it's also questioning like liberal america and how just how liberal are you when your husband becomes a black man or your father becomes <laughs> a black man <laughs> you know well that's a question i'd be interested to hear the answer <laughs> turns out not very <laughs> <laughs> ain't that the truth all right i think we can wrap it up anything else you want to mention no i think that's about it yeah i think i just you know i was hoping for a little more there there was some funny stuff some cringy stuff it just i guess i wanted more lighthearted racism (laughs) i mean i agree with that i i feel like they they held back and then they went too hard into the messaging yeah versus the entertainment yeah, that is a pretty good comparison with the ringer Johnny Knoxville joint. So you got that that synopsis and you just your mind starts going like how could they like how much stuff they could do with this and make it funny? And then they're like it's like they're afraid to go there, right? Mm-hmm. You already went halfway there. You gotta you gotta lead with wearing blackface. Right. You don't need much more than that. And they apparently they thought that was that was their big haymaker because he really doesn't change the way he acts unless he's uh like confronted by somebody he knows from home yeah but if it's like around regular or not regular but around people he doesn't know from his previous life he's just the same as he was as a white person just his skin is darker all right well i think that'll do it we will check you later Check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later.
Hey man, you off my case.